Now, I'll bet everybody in this room has been experiencing things that create stress in you and try to pull you away from God. We're all different. We all have different chinks in our armor. Okay? Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. Okay? I'm going to share some things that, that will help us. But here's where we are. We have stepped out onto the battlefield. Okay? We are an army. We are the army of God. The only problem is we had not got our shields locked together yet. We're still fumbling trying to get everything in place. And you know what? The enemy didn't wait on us to get on the field, get in our formation, lock our shields and march. He just started hitting us in the mouth as quick as he could. And so we're kind of, you know, we're kind of like this and this morning. We don't know what exactly what's happened. Well, hopefully, what I share today will help us get the shields locked together and unify, okay? Because if we unify, folks, he cannot stop what God wants to do through us. He cannot. Some of you are, are, are you know, you got up on Monday and, and something or something, someone hit you in the teeth just as hard as they could and you wasn't expecting it. That's what happened to me. I, I wasn't expecting that phone call. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. It wasn't what I had been led, led to believe would happen. It was just different. And as I said, the week got progressively worse. Amen? Amen. Is there anybody here that's just had seven wonderful days since last Sunday? Okay, we're all in the same, we're in the same place. Now, some of you may be wondering, you, you, you made that decision to stand firm, to plant your feet and trust God. You may be wondering, heck, what in the world is going on? Well, let me describe it in two simple words. Spiritual warfare. You're in a battle. And since you decided you would strap on the uniform and put on the armor and step on the field and dig your toenails in, the enemy has decided he's going to test us. He's going to test you. He's going to test me. And he's going to see if I really mean to go through with the decision that I have made. Now, for some of us, it's a commitment we have made. This, this is not new ground to me. The last time I preached material similar to this, I lost a transmission into a truck, okay? And a whole bunch of other things, all right? I didn't get to go on a vacation that I've been planning for, for six months. It just tons of... So I knew that this was going to happen. But for some of you, you weren't expecting this. You thought, hey, you know what? I'll put, that, I'll put that armor on. I'll step out there. I'll flash my sword a little bit. He'll see all these others, and he'll head to the house. Mm. This is what I learned in football. You put on the uniform, you step on the field, you better expect to get hit. If you don't want to get hit, don't get on the field. Okay. Now I'm going I'm to be straight up this morning and just honest with you because this is not a game. All right? This is not a game. This is life. Some of you, he's hit you, and he has hit you right square in the teeth, okay? And you're spitting and sputtering, and you're not sure what's going on. He's hit you because he's fired the first round to see if you'll blink. And you know what happens with most believers? Hey, this wasn't what I was expecting, preacher. This, this wasn't what I thought was going to happen. And you know what? I'm going to just go back to doing what I was doing. See, that's what he expects to happen. 
And that may be some of our histories. He, he wants to see if you'll blink. He wants to see if you'll run. Or he wants to see if you'll dig your toenails in the ground just a little bit deeper and hold on. I've said this already, but one thing you need to understand this morning is this battle, it's real. It's not a game. It's life and death. Okay? It's life and death. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We don't take our spiritual armor off. We don't take Jesus off and hang him in the corner. We wear it all the time. So we're dressed for war all the time. So we better be prepared for it. We're all in this battle, though. And whether you, you think you are or not, there are no conscientious objectors. Uh, let me say that again. There are no conscientious objectors. There, there are no deferments, okay? If all you can do is limp on one leg, you are still in the battle. If, if, if you're not where you can swing the sword right and left like you used to, you're still in the battle. You have to adjust to the battlefield. Here's the deal. You can fight or you can become a prisoner. Or worse, you can become a casualty. That, that's the options we have. We don't have any other options this morning. You say, Nelson, you're just you're kind of scaring us. Well, I don't mean to scare you. I'm just being honest with you. We live on a battlefield. And we have an enemy that is mortally wounded. Okay? Jesus mortally wounded him. He will not make it to the end. Okay? Y'all do understand that. He is done for. But he's still moving. He's still breathing. And he still wants to kill as many of us as he can. Or destroy as many of us as he can. Or steal from us whatever he can. And we need to be aware of that. We need to wake up to that. We have the choice. We can either be victors or we can be victims. And that's up to us. Okay? That's not up to him. That's not even up to Jesus because Jesus has already made us victors. We can either walk in the victory of the cross or we can put our hands over our head and, and, and go, help me, help me, help me. I wish it were better. Is this the best it's going to get? Folks, like I've said, I, I lived my Christian life like that for a long time until I got one day tired or tarred. Okay? And I realized that what I was doing was not the picture that Jesus paints of the people who are supposed to follow him. You see, we are to be living examples of Jesus. And I'm going to show you some things this morning that Scripture says about Jesus, and we are to exemplify that. We are to be victorious because he was victorious. We're to be on top, not on bottom. We're to be the head, not the tail. There's no weapon formed to get us that can prosper, Scripture says, unless we don't engage in the battle. And we, we become like a jellyfish on the ocean. Y'all know, jellyfish don't swim. They just go whichever way the tide carries them. I want you to, we're going to read again this morning the passage that we looked at last week a little bit. And, and uh I'm going to share some things with you that, that God put on my heart earlier in the week. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 14, verse, first part of 14, this is what it says. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, our wrestling match, our hand-to-hand combat to the death, you could translate it that way, is not against flesh and blood. You know what? My battle was not against some folks on the other end of the line Monday morning that didn't know what to do. My battle was not against the young man that cut me off and went to Taco Bell. Heck, he was just going for a taco. He's probably 17 years old. He probably didn't even see me. Folks, our battle, Scripture says, is against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavy places. Therefore, because of this, because of what I have just said, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist. And that word resist means to withstand, to stand firm in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. Then in the beginning of, of, of verse 14, it says, stand firm. Therefore, four times, I mentioned this last week, four times we are commanded to stand firm. We're not requested. We're not asked. This is a command from God. He says, I want you to stand firm. I want you to plant your feet firmly in the ground and be prepared to hold it. And when the command comes, I want you to move forward. I want you to take ground. In essence, what God is saying, I want you to destroy the works of the devil I want you to do it wherever and whenever you encounter them. Folks, that's our calling. That's what Jesus came to do. And we carry on that ministry. The idea here is to resist. We don't go out like they do. I mean, most of you have seen uh, soldiers that are are on the parade grounds. And man, they are decked out and they've got all their stuff on and they're marching. They're on show. That's not the battlefield. I mean, you can look good, but you better fight as well. So when they get on the battlefield, most of that stuff's gone, and the essential things that they need, they have with them. So we need to remember that. They've, They've come to hold their ground. They've come not to blink, not to give an inch. Eyeball to eyeball. How many of you ever tried to stare somebody down? We've all done that, uh, whether we were playing or not. Put the eyes on them and we won't blink. Well, that's what, that's what we're called to do. Don't blink. Don't take a step back. Don't give up. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how hot the battle gets. And you know what? For some of you this week, the battle's got pretty dark and it's got pretty hot. It's got pretty hard. It didn't gradually get that way. It was just boom. The door opened up and there he was and he punched you right square in the nose. Now many of you are maybe getting your first really taste of battle. I mean you may have experienced a shot at you here and now but because you were fasting. I know some people think you know when I fast it's just going to be just a sweet time between me and God. And it is. But it's more often a wrestling match between you and your flesh and you and the devil. The sweet time very often comes after the fast. 
two or three days later when God just gives you what you need or shares with you that nugget that you've been, you've been straining for. For some of us, we got hit right in the teeth. Maybe you're praying for BBS. Maybe you're working for BBS. Maybe this week you decide, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible every day and I'm going to spend a few minutes with God. Can I just tell you something? Those are offensive acts of war. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's aiming the rocket that your finger is on the button to and launching it right into the middle of his camp. Every time you pray, you launch a rocket. Every time this, the last 10 days, over, over the period of 10 days that we were fasting, every day you fasted and you gave up something to spend it with God, you launched a rocket into his camp. Every time you prayed for those teachers or you prepared your lesson or you, or you shared, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Do you know Jesus Christ? You know God loves you. You were launching rockets into his camp. Let that settle for a minute. What happens when the Arabs launch a rocket into Israel? Israel always launches ten more back. Guess what? The devil's the same way. You launch one at him, he'll launch a bigger one at you. And that's what's happening. That's, that's what's been happening. We need to be real here. Really. What were you expecting? What were you expecting to happen? I'm having to I'm having to uh, right now not say some things I want to say because they wouldn't communicate. They would communicate, but it might offend you. Okay, so I'm gonna say it a little different way. What were you expecting to happen? Do you really think he was gonna throw down his weapons and give you the keys to his house, folks? He's not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna throw down his weapon. Some of you this morning are, are spitting blood. Okay, and it's not his blood, it's your blood, okay? He, he drew some blood. And, and some of you are wanting to say, well, preacher, this is not the way I thought it'd be. It's not going like I thought it would go. You know what I would say? No, because if you thought you were going to waltz into his camp and overwhelm him without very much of a fight, it's just not going to happen, okay? It's a war. It's a war. It's a struggle for position. It's hand-to-hand combat. It's a personal struggle with a real enemy. This is not an Xbox game, okay? This isn't a, a TV game. I'm going to give you something here that if, if you write down and you apply it, it'll take you a long way. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to give you something if you write it down. If you get this and you internalize this and you begin to live this out, This will change the game a great deal. The key to victory is position. Okay? The key to victory is position. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, by that I mean where you are at, where you're located at. Position means the place where somebody or something is in relation to other things. I want you to to look 
at Paul's very first admonition in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I want you to see what he says. He says, finally, finally. Now, is that, he's getting to the end of his book, and he's like most preachers, I got one more point. That's not what he means here, okay? He's not saying, okay, I'm getting to the conclusion of the letter. Y'all are almost there. Please keep reading. No. He, what that finally means, for the time that remains, for the rest of your earthly life, is another way you could translate it. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Paul is talking about a key position a vital location. Over and over through the book of Ephesians, you see the phrase, in Christ, in Him, in Jesus, in the Lord. The Holy Spirit wasn't just wasting that phrase there. He's not just writing prose so He can get so many words in a chapter. That's not what He's doing. Every one of those words are important, and every one of those in Christ or in Him or in the Lord is important. He's reminding those believers of their position. We are in Christ. In Christ. Now, the tragedy of that is that the devil knows that. And he knows that there's nothing he can do about that. He can't change that. He knows how powerful that is. The tragedy is, is that we don't realize it. And we don't recognize it. And we don't internalize it, and then allow it to come out into our external circumstances. And so he uses it against us. See, we don't really comprehend how deadly that makes every one of us on the battlefield. How heavily armored we are. We don't realize that. I mean, most of us think we're standing out there with a little bitty butter knife in our underwear. That's the way we feel. I know that probably wasn't the best illustration, but I guarantee you it communicates a picture, don't it? That's how we feel. That's how we feel. That's, that's when, when we're attacked. That's the way we feel. Instead of wanting to fight back, we want to cover and head to the bushes. We want to run. I've already painted too many pictures, but I want to paint two more, okay? I want to paint two more. Both of them are positional. And if, if you get these pictures, they will help you understand your position, your location on the battlefield. Both are very biblical. Both are essential if you plan to, to hold that little spot of ground you're, you're standing on. Uh, both are essential if we're going to stand firm. One is, for, is foundational for understanding whose. W-H-O-S-E. Whose you are. Okay? The other is foundational for understanding where. You are. Now, some of us understand, most of us would, would, would say, yeah, I understand that, that God wants to have a relationship with us. Amen? Okay? God loves me. And God loves you and you. He loves everyone in this room, and He loves everyone on the outside of this room. He loves us. The, this physical creation that we're a part of was designed to enhance and enable us to have that relationship with God. He wanted that relationship to sprout and to blossom and begin to produce fruit. We were created for God, by God. God created us for Himself. Okay? 
His desire was to, to, to open his heart to us, and in turn we open our hearts to him, and there to be a relationship. That was why he created men and women. Now, something happened. Sin destroyed that relationship. Amen? Adam's and Eve's sin, and then our sin as well. It destroyed that relationship. But God sent Jesus Christ to restore that relationship. And folks, he restored that relationship in full. Okay? There's nothing lacking in that relationship. It's available for anyone who wants it. It's not for the super spiritual. There is no such thing as super spiritual. It's for people who are hungry for God. That relationship's there. And whenever a person is born again, and by that I mean they are born by the Spirit of God, by placing their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that relationship is restored. It becomes fully alive and available for that person. And when that happens, that person becomes a son or a daughter of God. He adopts them into his family. Not only that, and I don't know how to exactly explain this, but I can see the picture. When, when the Spirit of God comes to live in us, we get God's DNA as well in a spiritual sense. He becomes a part of us. Does that make sense? So we're not just adopted, we're also whatever the other is, okay? We belong to God. And nothing, I will say it again, nothing can change that. And so when we step out on that battlefield, you know what we can say? Hey, devil, this is my daddy. You remember when you were a kid? I do. I had kids that picked on me. But you know what? They didn't pick on me when my daddy was around. Hey, this is my daddy. Take a look at him. He's not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. See, I could talk because my daddy was there. And folks, our daddy, our Abba, you say, well, I just don't feel comfortable calling God daddy. You know what Jesus called God? Abba. You know what Abba means? In Hebrew, it means daddy, papa. It's a term of intimacy. He says that we can call him Abba. We can call him Daddy. And so when we step out on that battlefield, folks, Daddy goes with us. That's not registered in just but a few of you. You see, when we step out there and we realize who our Daddy, who our Abba, who our God is, we look different. Because the devil can see our Abba as well. And he knows that we know. See, most of us step out there and we're not sure, number one, what we're even doing out there, much less can we win or not. We're still trying to figure out where the clip is on my sword so I can get it out or in. And how does this shield work? And I can't keep the visor up on my helmet. And my breastplate's sagging down and and I don't know if my shoes are laced up. See, we're not sure about who Jesus is. We haven't put him on. We got him on, but we just don't know how, where it fits at. And folks, there's nobody else like God. He's one of a kind. 
The Bible asserts some things about God, and I want you to get these because this is important. Because if you get these, you're likely to go, hey, this is my dad, this is my Abba, this is my daddy, this is my God. The Bible says that God is not like any other creature. Okay? He doesn't compare. We can't compare him to anything. The Bible says that God is omniscient. Big long word that simply means God knows everything and he has known everything forever. You say, well, Nelson, you're going to have to explain that. Can't do it. Don't know how. Don't understand forever. I can understand somewhat forever that direction but can't understand it in that direction. And by the way, God's not in this time thing that we're in. He created time. He stands back, and you know what? Forever yesterday is just like forever tomorrow to him. It's not bound by time, not bound by space. He is out of the creation because he created it. He's omniscient. But the Bible also says that he's omnipresent. That means he is present in all places at all times. In other words, if I'm headed to Walmart, he's already there. Plus, he's still at home where I left, and he's with me in the vehicle I'm riding in. That's right. He was with that young man in Taco Bell. And I've got to say, I've got to stop there because I'll get in the flesh again. I'm thankful that he was. But he's, he's, om, he's omnipresent. And here's, here's one that we forget about. The Bible also says that God is omnipotent. Potent. He is all potent. All powerful. All power resides in God. And yet for some reason, we tend to make God out to be like us. He's strong here. He may be a little weak here, but he's really good here, but he's not always there. See, God's not like us, folks. He is unique. He is one of a kind. He stands alone. Nobody like him. I am always amazed by Scripture that nowhere from the the first chapter in Genesis to the last chapter in Revelation does God ever try to prove that he exists. Never. It's not there. In Genesis 1-1, God says, In the beginning, God. Well, where did God come from? He's just always been there. He created the beginning. In the beginning, He was there. That's how God starts the Word of God out. I have always been. Now I'm going to begin something. That, that amazes me. God's eternal. By that it means that he has always existed. Time and space and, and creation, the seen and the unseen. You, you do realize there are things that are, are created that we cannot see. Oh yeah, I can't see an atom. No, I'm even talking about other things. There are spiritual dimensions that you cannot see. There are spiritual creatures that, that, that you cannot see unless God reveals them to you. There are all kinds of things, seen and unseen. There's matter. There's antimatter. And folks, all of those things exist because God created them. God spoke them into existence. God formed them or fashioned them. He made them. The psalmist puts it this way in, in uh, Psalms 90, verse 2. He says, Before the mountains were born, 
You gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, we think of everlasting as this direction, but everlasting extends in both directions. And they never meet. God alone is God. Nobody else is like him, folks. He's unique. But, listen to me, there's a belief, a humanistic one at that, but it's, it's still a belief. And the devil uses it to create uncertainty among us. And if I ask you, do you believe in this belief, you will all say, no, no way, preacher, we don't believe that. But a lot of us live our life this way, okay? A lot of us live our lives this way. It's called dualism. You say, well, I've never heard of that. Well, dualism teaches that there are equal and opposite principles in everything. In other words, if this happens here, this happens. If this is, is taking place, this takes place. How many of you have ever heard the word yin and yang? All of you have. Yin and yang is, is Eastern mysticism and dualism. There's a, there's a belief that if it's good, there's good, there's bad. That's the, that's the belief. And, the, and they balance each other. And our, our whole system is held in balance by these opposite and opposing parts. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, we believe there's a battle between good and evil. <clears throat> is there really, though? Before you nod your head, maybe there is, maybe there's not. Is there a battle between God and Satan? Well, we use that language a lot, don't we? Listen to me. That's dualism. That's the belief that, that there are opposites and, and, and these principles work together and the, that, you know, there's ebb and there's flow. And you know what? The enemy wants us to believe that. We are in a battle, okay? I want you to understand that. But God is not in a battle. We are in a war, but God is not at war. Nor has he ever been at war, okay? Now, some of you are going, wait a minute. Well, just hang on with me a second, okay? He wants you to believe that the armies of, of they're not the armies of hell because there isn't anybody there yet. He wants you to believe his armies are marching against God's armies. He wants you to believe that, you know, his power is not equal to God, but it's almost equal. It, it's, it's bad enough that, you know, God's wringing his hands and worrying a little bit what's going to happen. Folks, listen to me. That's how he creates fear and doubt and uncertainty in our lives. And where fear and doubt live, faith doesn't exist. Dualism, along with centuries of superstition, lies. Where do lies come from? Satan, he's the father of lies. Centuries of superstition have tend, tended to create a devil who is far bigger than he really is. Now, he's, he's big and he's ugly and he's bad, okay? But he's not God. It's not God here and Satan here. And which way is it going to go? Folks, God has no enemy equal to him. Let me say that again. God has no enemy equal to him. 
There is no enemy who can stand on the same field of battle with him. He has no enemy who threatens him. Okay? I know the Bible says that that this group are my enemy and that group is my enemy. But by that, what God is saying is they are in opposition to me. They have rebelled against me. He's not saying that, you know what, I'm threatened by them. God's not threatened by anybody. He's not threatened by anything. God stands alone. That's who God is. And guess what? We are His kids. Penny understands it. She got it. We're His kids. There's nobody that can push our God around. God's not threatened. His position has never been threatened, folks. It's never been in doubt. It's never been in danger. And certainly, it's never been that way by the devil. Okay? Yes, Satan rebelled. But Satan had a beginning. He was created. And pride was found in his heart. Sin was found in his heart. And he rebelled. And when he failed, he took one-third of the angels with him. Now, how many are that? I don't know, okay? One-third of them. In my own opinion, and you may differ with this, but that's where the demons came from, okay? That's, that's just my belief. I'm good with that. I can't find anything that, that teaches any different that I'm comfortable with. But folks, he rebelled. But even in his rebellion, he never threatened God. God put him out of heaven. Do you realize that God could have just said, and he no longer ceased to be? Now, I know the next thing that comes in your mind, well, then why didn't God do that? Because God had a plan. Okay? And his plan was perfect. And he has never deviated from that plan. And his plan has remained perfect, even though Satan rebelled and Adam rebelled. The plan never changed. And God continues to carry out his plan. And one day, Satan will bow his knee and say, God, your plan was righteous, your plan was holy. Every person who's rebelled against God will say the same thing. You see, omnipotence, all power, cannot be threatened by a created being. Satan's power is limited. God's is unlimited. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He can be at one place at a time. Travels fast. Man, don't travel that fast. He knows a lot. He's been around since the beginning. You learn some things if you keep your eyes open and you're not just totally stupid. You learn things by experience. He's learned a lot of stuff. He knows Scripture. Okay? He knows it. My point is, is you cannot compare God and Satan. There's no dualism. There's no such thing as dualism when it comes to God. You can't compare he and the devil in the same sense. God is, uh, is alone by himself. He's infinite. Satan's finite. God is unlimited. Satan is limited. Folks, God creates. God speaks and things that were not come into being without any resource material to work with. Just out of nothing. All Satan can do is counterfeit. He can't create. 
Folks, God is eternal. Satan was created. God will reign forever and ever and ever. Satan has a destination. I don't know if you've read this or not. This would be a good book, I mean a good verse to put in the back of your Bible and remind yourself every once in a while when he hits you in the teeth. Okay, it's a good verse to use to remind him of. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. By the way, that's hell. That's Gehenna. That's the hell Jesus preached about and talked about. Where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's another verse that says that, that hell, Gehenna, this place that, that's talked about in Revelation that Jesus preached about, was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for us. Okay? It was created for the devil and the angels. Folks, that's his destination. Now, there's no comparison, okay? Yet, for some reason, we have this mindset that God and Satan are locked in this life and death battle. Folks, there is no battle with God. God reigns on his throne. God reigns. And he is at complete rest. He's not struggling. He's not striving. He's not wringing his hands. Now, this may surprise you. God's, I mean, excuse me, Satan's war is not with God. He's at war, isn't he? Then who's his war with? Us. Now, we, 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 y'all, are, y'all are tracking with me, okay? His war is with us. It's with, with the seed of Adam. See, that's where the battle's at. He rebelled against God, and he was cast out of heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him. And you know what? If God didn't allow him to exist, he would not exist. He'd be gone without a word. Folks, that kind of power has no equal. That's God. That's our Abba. But the devil doesn't want you to understand that little fact. Because he knows if you, if you know that, you know what? You'll plant your feet and you'll let the wind blow. You'll let the wind howl. You'll take a punch and, and give it back. You won't blink. You won't back down. You will move forward all the time. He knows that if you find out about that, he's devastated. His power is gone in your life. See, for him to be victorious in our lives, we have to partner with him in some way. And if we refuse to partner with him, he's powerless. Listen to what, well, let me, let me, let me say this before I say that. In the incarnation, when, when God became flesh. See, God knows the battle. The enemy's battle is against us. And it was his desire and his plan from the very beginning that man would always be victorious in that battle. But what happened? Adam gave the devil his sword. He didn't even fight. He just believed the lie, swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. And so God sends his son, comes himself to earth, and takes on flesh and becomes a man. He didn't just put us on 
and then drop us off. Folks, God in the person of the Son, united with flesh. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man, and He will always be both. Okay? Fully God. But He became fully man. He became fully human. And He began to fight against the devil, not as God. Okay? we got to understand this. He didn't fight the devil as God. He fought the devil as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, totally obedient to God. He fought the devil in the same way that we have been given authority and we have been given power to fight. If you want to know what victorious Christian lives look like, read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. It's in living color every day. We can't do that. Preacher, that only happened in Jesus' day. Oh, well, you're right. You'll never do that if you believe that way. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that Jesus came to destroy the devil and destroy his works so that we, in turn, would have a model and would be able to do the same thing. Uh, He did it. Like I said, he did it through total obedience to God and through trusting in the Holy Spirit. I want you to to listen to how Jesus devastated him, how he destroyed him, how he defeated him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, makes a powerful declaration about what Jesus did. It says, when he, who, who is he? It's Jesus. When Jesus had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, let me paint a clearer picture of this verse. See, we read that, and we think, well, he took the devil's power away. Or he took his sword away, or he took his gun away. When we think about disarming, that's what we think about. When Jesus ascended into heaven, after he was crucified, And after he was resurrected, the passage says that he disarmed. Or literally, he divested. That's that's the Greek word, divested. The picture is, he did this. Shook them off. Like taking a garment. How many ever shake the rugs? That's what Jesus did. For 33 and a half years, the devil had dogged his tracks. The demons had dogged his tracks. They'd done everything they could. And Jesus said, hey, done with this, tired of this. He shook them off. (laughs) In order to grab hold of somebody, it's grabbing hold of me right now. He shook them off. And he ascended into heaven. And it says he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them, through Christ. Folks, he shook them off. And the picture here is of a conquering Roman general. And when a Roman general would conquer a people, when he would conquer an army, he would strip their army completely naked. He would humiliate them. All right? That was humiliation, except for a few tribes in Scotland where I come from. Okay? Nakedness was not an issue. All right? But for most people in the world, nakedness was something to be ashamed of. And so the worst thing that could happen would be to be put publicly out on display. And he would chain them together in shackles. And he would march them from wherever he had defeated them all the way back to Rome. If you ever go to Rome, you'll see the arcs. You know what the arcs are there for? 
They tell the stories of the Roman generals in pictures. There's the Ark of Titus and the Ark of Domination and, and there are other Ark of Titus. If you see the Ark of Titus, you'll see where Titus sacks Israel and, and the Jews and you'll see pictures of that. He would march them through his arks. And they'd march them down Main Street. And folks, they would be humiliated. The Bible says this is what Jesus did with Satan and his forces. He stripped their power. He stripped their protection. He stripped away the lies that they lived in. He chained them together and he led them as captives. And folks, listen to me. They are still his captives. He didn't turn them loose and say, hey, go have fun with what's left of the church. They're still captives. He plundered the enemy's house. Jesus put it this way. He, he said, unless there is someone stronger, he can't plunder the strong man's house. Jesus was stronger. He plundered the strong man's house. Does that register? Are, are you getting this this morning? Over and over and over, Ephesians tells us that we're in Christ, in Jesus, in Him. I want to give you another picture. And i got to hurry, okay? Paul gives us a very vivid picture in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. It says this. It, it's a picture of our position in Christ. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, even when we were in sin, He made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ in order that in the ages to come He might show the surprising riches of His grace and kindness for us in Jesus Christ. It said He made us alive in Christ. He raised us. He resurrected us with Christ. And He seated us in Christ. Now I'm going to give you a picture. I'm going to show you a picture of what that means. Because, folks, the key to standing firm on the battlefield is our position. All right? Uh, I'm not an artist, okay? But I think this is pretty good facsimile. All right? This little guy right here. All right? Some of y'all can see. Handsome guy. Curly hair. Little frost on it. It represents me, okay? I'm going to play another part this morning. This, this represents me. This represents you. Uh, I don't have a lot of fashion sense, you can tell. You don't wear stripes with plaids. And I would never wear pink pants, okay? I can just tell you that. But this is me. You can see the curly hair. You can see the little funky mustache and all that other stuff. This is me, all right? I do okay, all right? But you know what? Every day I face the devil. And yet, I've been called to stand firm. And I'm human. I'm capable of doing stupid things. I proved that earlier this week. Okay? I proved that. I make bad decisions. I'm fully qualified and totally able to fail at any turn. I get some things right. I get some things wrong. You know what? I could be you. This could be you. In fact, it is you. Let's just let it represent all of us. Perhaps you can, you know, 
the stunning eyes, you can maybe do away with that. And the great smile, you can do away with that. And maybe you'd never wear this and, and you don't have a mustache. But let's just imagine this is you. Now, just hold that picture for a minute. Now, I'm going to be Jesus, okay? I'm going to be Jesus. And, you know, we, we know that Jesus wore a robe, all right? We know he was a Jew, all right? So his skin, a little bit uh, darker than me. And based on what I understand about clothes, they had to have something to keep them on. So I'm going to have this little rope, a little belt, all right? Now, Jesus, the Bible says, is God, right? Amen? He's the Son of God. He's God, very God. Uh, he's eternal. <clears throat> Excuse me. That means Jesus is eternal, Amen? means he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. It means he's incomparable, he's infinite. There's nobody like him. Amen? Y'all all with me? Okay. Now, we know that he became human like us. We know that for 33 and a half years, he went through the same things we went through. He struggled with the same things we struggled through, yet he never sinned. Okay? We know that, that he was arrested, and he was beaten, and he was crucified. He was accused of treason, and, resur- and not resurrection, but insurrection. Accused of all kind of things. And yet, we also know that none of those things were true. We know that he was resurrected. We know that 40 or so days later, he ascended into heaven. Now, where is Jesus right now? He's, and where at? He's on the right hand of God. And what's he doing? He's seated and he's interceding for us. Okay? That, that's key. Okay? He's, he's in heaven and he's interceding for us. Okay? So we're just going to imagine that's the throne. Now, I want you to go back to the verse there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. But God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love of which He loves us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Okay? That means that because Jesus is alive, we are alive. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him. So when Jesus was raised up out of that ground, we were raised up out of that ground. Okay? Now, where did we go from there? Well, we floated into Netherland until we were born on this planet. No, here's what Scripture says. It says that Jesus placed, that God placed us in Christ. Okay? In Christ. He's waving at you. He's in Christ. Okay? And He seated us in the heavenly places in Christ in order that in the ages to come, he could just make a display so that there could be a message sent to Satan forever and ever and ever. Okay? When you are standing firm on the, on the battlefield, folks, you are seated in Christ in the heavenlies. Let me ask you a question. Now, somebody may be big enough and bad enough to snatch me out of me, Okay? But there's nobody that can snatch me out of Jesus. Jesus is not on the cross. He's not wondering, oh gosh, what's Nelson going to do? He says, hey, you know what? I've already taken care of Nelson. I've already done what Nelson needs to do. We are seated 
folks. You can't stand until you sit down. And some of you just need to take your position in Christ and stop struggling. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to, well, this is happening because I just, I just messed up yesterday. Folks, it's not. This is where you are day in and day out. This is where you will be for eternity. We are next to the heart of God. We are in Christ. We have become one with Christ. So when the enemy sees me, guess what he sees surrounding me? Jesus. He sees the God who is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. He sees the God that he cannot defeat. He sees his destiny, which is hell. He sees all those things in us, folks. That's why I keep telling you, when we fight, we fight from victory. This is a position of victory. You see, as far as Jesus is concerned, the war is over. They're in chains. By the way, check them out. They still don't have their armor back or any clothes. They're still in shame. Folks, this is where we have to rest. This is where we have to sit. Or we will never be victorious. Phone calls can't throw us into a tizzy. They just make us go, God, you're going to have to take care of this. Kids in cars can't cut us off, and we go berserk, okay? We just have to go, God, thank you. Please take care of that young man. The guy driving like that, he's not going to make it to be an older man. Yeah, You know, my, I'm sick. I'm whatever. Folks, if you're sick, you're seated in Jesus. If you're struggling, you're seated in Jesus. If you don't know what's going to happen in your marriage, you're seated in Jesus. If you don't know what's going to happen with your kids, you're seated in Jesus. This is the position from which we fight. You don't see chairs on battlefields. Amen? Okay. Am I making sense? Okay. I'm going to stop. In fact, when it gets really hot, and the battle's tough, this is what happens. Folks, Satan cannot destroy us. This is our position. This is what Jesus died on the cross for. Yes, he died to give us a home in heaven in the by and by someday. But folks, that's just frosting on the cake. This is the cake. We are in Christ. We have a new position. We are not in darkness. We are not in sin any longer. We are in Christ. And everything, what this means is, is that everything that is Christ's is ours. I know, preacher, but that's by and by someday in the sky. No, that's right now. Okay, there are some things that, that we will step into in a fuller sense, yes. But you know what? We can start enjoying the riches of heaven now. Wherever we're at, now, if we just realize our position, folks, the answer, the key to the warfare that we're in is position. This is where we're at. 
This is where we're going to be. I need to get comfortable there. You know, personally, I like sitting down. Far more than I like standing up. I would preach to you sitting down if I thought I could, but I can't. See, sitting down is the position of rest. Okay? And Hebrews tells us that God has called us into His rest. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.